Welcome to Benchmark, a show about the global economy. I'm Daniel Moss, economics writer with Bloomberg View in New York. And I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor at Bloomberg News in Washington. Today, we're giving you part two of our two-part year-end special. In case you missed the first one, Scott and I have brought in three of our colleagues from around the world. Ender Curran in Hong Kong, Jana Randau in Europe, and Viviani Rodriguez, our Latin America Managing Editor for Economics and Government. We've already taken a look back at 2017. Now we're going to give you our predictions for the coming 12 months, looking at three thought-provoking questions. One, what will be the most surprising economic development of the year? Two, who will be a key influential person you may never have heard of? And three, what will be a significant non-economic development that actually has an economic impact? Some of the answers surprised me, and they might very well surprise you. So let's hear what everyone had to say. What would be the most surprising economic development of 2018? Ender. Growth and trade will disappoint, Dan. All the indications are we're headed for another good year. We've had the best synchronized growth since at least the start of the decade. The view is it's hard to stop a train in motion. But there are worry spots. Central Wait a banks- second. Are you reversing yourself? You just wrote about a trade war that didn't happen. In fact, trade boomed in 2017. That's right. But... The issue with the trade is that a lot of it reflected a rebound in commodity prices and a technology boom that could fade as we go into 2018. And let's not forget Donald Trump and his threats of a trade war. They haven't gone away. And there's a view is that US-China trade tensions could ratchet up next year. All right. All right. Now you tell us. Jana. I would say the biggest surprise would be if inflation in the euro area would finally pick up to a pace that the ECB considers in line with price stability. They have laid the groundwork. Uh, We've had negative interest rates for years. We have a QE program that's set to reach 2.6 trillion euros. Think about that in September. And we see some indication that companies are raising prices, they're raising wages. The question now really is, will it happen? Who knows? Viviani. Well, if NAFTA survives without a major revamp, that would be a surprise and it would be quite significant, especially for Mexico's economy during a presidential year. So so definitely one to look for. Scott. One thing that if you watch or read Bloomberg, we're watching closely is the U.S. Treasury yield curve. This is the difference in interest rates between two-year and 10-year or five-year and 30-year, whichever way you want to slice it. That spread is falling really, really fast. And when it becomes equal or the shorter end is higher than the longer end, it's called an inverted yield curve. That can be a sign that a recession is coming. And if that happens in 2018, as it seems increasingly possible, maybe not likely, but possible, it could spook markets and it could get people more talking about a downturn in the economy and change our thinking about how long this expansion is going to last. I'm going to second Viviani's call on NAFTA. It looked for a while as though NAFTA had dodged a bullet. They were going to do renegotiations rather than a U.S. withdrawal. But those renegotiations don't seem to be going so well. 
All right. Well, let's turn to our second question now, round two. Who will be a key influential person in economics or the world or regional economy in 2018 that most people have not heard of? Jana, why don't you go first? I'd say Mario Centeno. So far, most people probably really haven't cared much about the man who became Portugal's finance minister about two years ago. But from next year onward, they probably should. He was named chief of the Eurogroup, the group of Euro area finance ministers, uh, just this month. And his job will be incredibly tough next year. He will have to steer reforms that ensure that the Euro area recovery will hold. He will have to negotiate compromises on issues including banking union, fiscal policy, and a little further down the line, beyond our 2018 horizon, he will also be a key player in selecting the next ECB president. Who is also currently named Mario. Two Marios with difficult jobs. All right, let's turn to Vivian. Who's your choice? Oh, hands down, Lopez Obrador in Mexico, known only as AMLO. He's ahead on the polls for the presidential elections in July. He's really a firebrand, and he's no Peña Nieto. If he gets elected, I mean, we can expect quite an interesting relationship and daily sparring between him and Donald Trump via Twitter, via you name it. But definitely, it could be the year of AMLO. How many times has he run for president? Oh, almost every election in the last 20, 20, 30 years, he threw his hat there. But this time he has a real shot. Could be somebody who more people have heard of by the end of 2018 for sure. All right, Enda, who's your pick? Uh, I look at China, Liu He. He's a key advisor to Xi, President Xi Jinping and he's growing his influence behind the scenes. Harvard educated, survivor of the Cultural Revolution, not at all known on the global stage, but he's really growing his role and his influence, and he's tipped for something of a much bigger role as uh, Xi Jinping's second term gets underway. And of course, we know there's a lot of opaqueness around China's policy making, and they have a lot of big challenges, and he's going to be tasked with managing stability of the financial system and keeping the economy on track. Liu He, definitely an influential economic policymaker, but not a household name by any chance. Dan, how about you? I'm going to cheat a little and go for a thing rather than an individual. And it is China's Belt and Road Initiative. One of the great narratives running through discussions with serious people this year has been this question, can democracies, and the US is a proxy for that, still do big things? You look across to China, which has a very different political system, yet it's managing to do big things. The Belt and Road Initiative is compared quite favorably with the Marshall Plan. And it's just tough to conceive that the U.S. could do something like that these days. Probably will be influential, not just 2018, but years to come. Okay, I'm going to go last again. And my pick is Marvin Goodfriend. He was recently nominated to the Federal Reserve Board of Governors by President Trump. And he's a scholar of monetary policy and somebody with a pretty strong research body who's likely to be influential because he will be pretty much the only person with that kind of background on the Fed Board of Governors next year. You have Janet Yellen leaving, obviously going to be replaced by Jerome Powell as chairman. He is not a scholar. He's a, a lawyer, been in various government positions, well-respected, not a policy person Stan Fisher, the well-known vice chairman of the Fed, has also already left, and the other people on there are not scholars. So 
good friend is well positioned to be influential in 2018, you're going to be hearing a lot about him. Scott, can I just challenge you on that one? It's not like Jay Powell has not held senior economic posts. It's not like he doesn't have a sense of how the economy works. Well, he certainly does, but he doesn't have the intellectual research background that someone like Goodfriend has that Powell's predecessors, Janet Yellen, Ben Bernanke, even Greenspan to some extent, have had and is, is also predominant in the world of central banking right now as and uh, Yana and Vivian know very well. Last one, little different. Name one non-macroeconomic issue that will have a significant impact in 2018. Ender. AI. I know it's something of a cliche, but that doesn't mean we can ignore it. We're talking about deep learning, robots, AI, and not just about factory floors in Shenzhen being automated. This is going to become an increasing theme through 2018 and beyond as our workplaces change and our work practices change, how we drive change, how we learn at school and universities change. One investor said to me this week, if you're not on board, you'll be like a Luddite during the original Industrial Revolution. That's my tip for next year and beyond. Okay, Jana, are you going to be smashing printing presses as well? No, no, I'll keep it very contained. Um, And as a huge soccer fan, I would have to say the World Cup in Russia. Economic studies put the positive economic impact of previous tournaments at anywhere between $3 billion, $14 billion, you make a pick. Some 3.5 million tickets have already been requested. That's huge. And while most of those uh, requests have come from within Russia, tens if not hundreds of thousands will flock to the country, will make their way to Russia to see their teams play. That's despite sanctions weighing on Russia for its military operations in part of Ukraine, for example. And one other interesting thing uh, is that even the oil market may be affected by this. Russia will face Saudi Arabia in the opening game. And just eight days later, just a mere week, uh, those nations will meet again at an OPEC table in Vienna, discussing whether supply cuts should be extended. Perhaps we should root for a draw. Viviani. Well, I will draw attention to something very particular to Latin America, which is we're seeing a stronger and deeper connection between the evangelical lobby and the narco money in the region. In Brazil alone now, we have what we call the phenomena of the mega churches and how actually they recruit. And I spent quite a lot of time in Brazil prisons, for example, where they, you know, like, for example, you're arrested, you're part of the narco system, but when you're out, you convert yourself and you start working for the church and you raise a lot of money and how this money ends up really financing campaigns or somehow showing up in the way that they provide support to lobbies and and certain particulars agenda within Brazil Congress. So definitely a phenomenon that it runs deep, it runs a little bit underground, but it will keep growing in Latin America, especially in a year with so many elections, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, we might see more of this playing out. You know, this is fascinating. We in the United States are accustomed to thinking of the evangelical lobby in terms of Republican politics in the US and particularly in the South and the Midwest. You're saying "Ah, it's not so exclusive. 
Well, in Latin America, uh, precisely, it's not so exclusive, I would say. I mean, obviously, it has, has more of a connection with impoverished communities. So you see more evangelical churches, again, in destitute communities in Brazil, right? Many of them are ravished by the drug problem. So hence that connection between a lot of the, I would say, maybe the parishers or, or, or the devout, I mean, also has some connections with the narco. Scott. You know, Dan, it feels increasingly like we're at a real historic moment in the United States. Every day there are more revelations, more and more women are coming forward to share their stories of sexual harassment by powerful figures in media, government, politics, and so on. And it also feels like we're just scratching the surface here, that there are many, many more stories to come in many other industries and not just in the U.S., but in other countries around the world as well. This is just going to grow and grow and grow, and it's going to topple many more leaders in business and government, and some of those are going to have an economic impact that will be felt in the U.S. and possibly around the world. I'm going to go to Wisconsin. The U.S. Supreme Court has been hearing a case on gerrymandering of electoral districts in Wisconsin. Now, if the Supreme Court decides to overturn the Wisconsin electoral map, it will have precedent throughout the country. Right now, gerrymandering is widespread with the possible exception of two states, one that might not surprise California or any other that might, Iowa. Now, if gerrymandering is outlawed or weakening, you could see a lot more incentive for lawmakers to engage in serious policy-focused legislation. Right now, if you're a Republican, the only thing you really have to worry about is a challenge from the right. If you're a Democrat, the only thing you really have to worry about is a challenge from the left. I'm not equating the two. I'm just saying there's this phenomenon. People only have to worry about their base because many electoral districts have become so safe make more of them competitive, more might have to engage in serious policy deliberation and legislation. Thanks to our panel, we're going to have to leave it there. We will have you back in 12 months' time to give you some scrutiny and see what panned out and what didn't and why. Have a great new year. Thank you, Dan. This was fun. Thank you, guys. That was great. Thank you. Looking forward to talking next year. And to our listeners... Thank you for staying with us for a second year. We literally couldn't have done it without you. Hope you have a great holiday and a great new year. A special thanks to Scott, my co-host, who's persevered with me, and above all to Sarah Patterson, our producer, without whom none of this could really happen. Benchmark will be back next week. In the meantime, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And you can let us know what you thought of the show. Follow me on Twitter at, at Scott Landman. Dan, you're at Moss underscore Eco. Enda is at, at Enda Curran. Yana is at, at J-R-A-N-D-O-W. And Vivian is at at V-I-V underscore R-O-D-13. This episode of Benchmark was produced by Sarah Patterson and Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.